This morning we look at the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. We look this morning in John 15, beginning with verse 16. The Word of God, Jesus himself says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If I kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If, they had come, if I had not come out and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they are no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause." But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Several, several years ago, we needed a new car. We didn't have a ton of resources, and so we were going to have to be careful about the car that we picked out. Obviously, it was going to be a used car, uh, but I wanted it to be a cool car. I mean, obviously, you know, a person as cool as me needs to drive a car uh, that is also as cool as me. And so after checking things out online and visiting a bunch of different car dealerships, I had found a used car that really was going to fit the bill. We, we could afford it. I could talk Susan into it, and it was a cool car. I, I won't really show you a picture of it or anything like that because you might not agree that it's quite as cool, but it, it was a Dodge Intrepid. And, and it was a, okay, so there is the picture. Um, now, you may not be as convinced that that's a cool car, but you haven't seen it parked in the desert. Um, see, much cooler when you just park it in the desert. If you look at that picture really carefully, there are no tire tracks. How do they do that? I, I just wonder about that as I look at that, that picture. But, but just before I decided to buy that car, I thought there was one more thing that I needed to do. I needed to take someone who knew a little bit more about cars than I do and just make sure that I wasn't making a, a bad decision. So I took my father-in-law for the last test drive uh, on this car, and it's a beautiful, cool car that was just going to be great. It was going to fit me. It was the car that I've been looking for. This was, this was going to be it. And so we, we did this little test drive, and Susan's dad looked at me as kindly as as he possibly could, and he said, you will regret buying this car. So you know what? I regret bringing you on this trip because uh, this is the car that I want. This is, what I, this, is, this is the vehicle that I'm looking for. This is it. But I listened to him because sometimes we need to have people in our lives that are willing to speak truth to us even if it's not what we want to hear. And we are in a series 
of chapters in the Gospel of John where Jesus is speaking to the disciples and telling them truth that they need to hear even if it's not truth that they want to hear. In fact, last week, the part that we looked at in John chapter 14 is Jesus says to the disciples, I'm leaving and where I'm going, you cannot come with me. That's not what they wanted to hear. That's the exact opposite of what they wanted to hear. Now, as Jesus unpacked that for the disciples, he was able to reassure them and says, listen, my leaving is actually going to be great for you. My leaving is going to be to your benefit. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where I am, you will also be able to be. I'm going to my father's house. And there's room for you. There's a place for you. And while you're waiting, I'm going to send the Spirit of God, who is the helper, who's going to come and live inside of you forever. And so even though that the bad news is that I'm leaving, the future news is good. And this is good for you. And so the disciples are still kind of reeling from this. You know, he tells us that he's leaving. That sounds terrible. But, but okay, I can understand that the future is going to be all right. And then Jesus drops this next nugget. And he says, and while you're waiting, the world is going to hate you. While you're waiting, the world is going to hate you. Now, now listen to this. The word hate is a hard word. It's probably the reason we try to avoid it in our houses, right? Because it is a hard word. This is not a statement that, that they're going to mildly dislike you. Hey, this is not a statement that says you're not going to be the most popular person in, in, in the world. This is a statement that says they are going to hate you. That means that they are going to look at you and wish that you did not exist. They are going to look at you and wish that you did not exist. Now, I will tell you that Jesus' words have not reached their expiration date yet, even in this day today. Now, I got to tell you, as a guy who became famous for good news, none of this sounds like good news. The world is going to hate you. So where is the good news in this passage of scripture? Well, well, here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus is going to tell us how to be his follower in a world like this one. Now, sometimes we look at this world and it's a messed up world and sometimes this world is broken and we can see some of the forces that are, that are difficult and wrong and oppositional and say, man, it is really hard out there. Here's the good news. Jesus from that point on, has been telling us, equipping us, giving us the instruction that we need to know on how to live in a world just like the world that you and I live in today. Now, as I give this statement, as I read the scripture uh, this morning, and it says the world is going to hate you. Now, there's probably a couple of different ways in which you can react to that statement. One of them is to say, paranoid. <laughs> Who are you that you think that you are so important that the world is going to hate you? And boy, you're just overreacting when you give a statement like that. And then there's another reaction that could come it is a statement that says, yes, exactly. That's what's happening to me every single day. And we probably have someplace in between those two that most everybody in this room 
kind of fits in. Uh, some folks say, I don't know. I, I think that's just kind of overreacting. And other folks like, yes, that happens to me every single day. But Jesus, as he is giving those disciples their final instructions in the final hours that he spends with them, he says to them, the world is going to hate you. And that's what they need to know as they move forward as followers of Jesus. So it is our task this morning to make sure that we hear what Jesus is speaking in those moments. That we need to make sure that we understand them for our lives because just as much as the disciples were going to live in a world that hated them, you and I live in a world that has the exact same DNA as the DNA that the disciples were living in in that day. So let's think this through. One of the things when we look at this passage is that we see that Jesus tells us that a, that a disciple or a follower of Jesus won't fit in like they used to. A disciple, a follower of Jesus, a person who pursues the patterns, priorities, and purpose of Jesus won't fit in like they used to fit in. Now let's think about that just for a moment. Jesus says to them, the world is going to hate you. Who's going to hate you? The world. <laughs> Have you ever had just a great nap or a superb bowl of cornflakes and say, I am ready to take on the world? Well, good. Because Jesus is telling us that the world is going to stand in opposition to us, that the world is going to stand opposed to us. In John's gospel, primarily in the words of Jesus, there is the reference to the world 61 different times. 61 different times the gospel of John speaks about the world. So what exactly is it that makes up the world? Well, first of all, the world is the created order. The world is everything that you see. What you wake up in the morning, what you see. When you go on vacation, it's what you see. When you drive to work or to school or to church, it's what you see. It's your backyard. It's your front yard. It's as far as everything that you see, the created things that we experience in this world. That's the created world. That's the world. When John speaks of the world, he also speaks about a rebellious world. He, he speaks about a rebellious world that has rebelled against the things of God and certainly is rebelling against the things of Jesus. And he tells us that the world is going to hate us. It's the created world. It's the rebellious world. But, but here's the thing that, that impacts us. It is the surrounding world world. It is the culture that surrounds us. It is what I would say all of the things that are the default. It is what is the normal things that are around us. It is what's considered to be the everyday and the every person. The everyday, the normal, the default setting of this world is going to hate you. Now, Jesus says the reason for this is because you don't belong in the world. He said if you were still part of the world, 
the world would give you a high five. He says, but because you are no longer part of the world, he says, in fact, you're not part of the world because I called you out of the world. He says, now, if you had stayed in the world, man, they would be like, fantastic, great, love you, everything's super. He says, but the mere fact that you are my follower, the mere fact that you are one of my disciples is causing the world to hate you because you have been drawn out from the world. He says, you are not the normal. You are not the default anymore. You used to blend in, but you don't anymore. You are now different. You used to be, but not anymore. Have you experienced that at all? That because you are called out and because you are separated from by your commitment to Jesus that you don't fit in in the same way that you used to? I think people that are fairly new believers experience this. That all of a sudden, their old relationships, all of a sudden, their old friendships, their old routines, the old default, natural, normal pattern of their life just doesn't fit the same way that it used to. And it can be unnerving, and it can be disturbing, and, and it can put in a lot of emotional and relational stress on your life because three weeks ago, everything was normal, and now I gave my life to Christ, and the exact same thing as people, places, routines just don't fit anymore. Well, we don't fit like we used to. And a new believer experiences that. I think sometimes... Folks who become believers at a very young age experience that. See, what happens to them is that, that there's not a whole lot of complexity of their life when they're very young. But as they get a little bit older and they, they give their life to Christ when they're six, seven, eight, nine years old, but life gets a little bit more complex and more decisions, and more choices, and more independence, they begin to realize that if I'm going to live for Jesus, then I don't fit in in the same world as the more complicated life gets and the more choices that are out there. I don't fit the same way that I used to fit. Disciple just doesn't fit in the default world that it used to anymore. Jesus also tells us that a disciple, a follower of Jesus, someone who is committed to the patterns, priorities, and purpose of Jesus, will have to face animosity that they didn't expect, that they didn't plan for, and that they don't understand. Now, here's one of the things that Jesus tells us. He says, if the world hates you, don't be surprised. The world hated me before it ever hated you. I was the first person to experience the hatred of this world. And in fact, he tells us that, listen, I've told you before that the servant is not greater than the master. And as he told them as he washed the disciples' feet, he says, if I'm going to wash your feet, then, then you have to wash each other's feet. And he says, listen, if the world is going to hate me, 
well, you're not going to get off scot-free. If the world hates me and you're my follower, then the world is going to hate you as well. But stop and think about that for a moment. Who hates Jesus? I mean, who hates Jesus? What, what is it about Jesus that, that, that would make somebody hate Jesus? Well, Jesus is full of grace and kindness and forgiveness and love. And Jesus cares for people and empowers people and, and turns people's lives around and treats them with a dignity that they've never received in any other part of their life. What is there to hate about a man who is full of grace, who is perfect in every single way? How is it that you hate Jesus? Well, well I will tell you that for the most part, it's not the grace part that they hate. Although sometimes people don't like Jesus because they don't mind grace toward themselves. But they're a little bit anxious when Jesus gives grace to somebody else. Why is Jesus giving grace to the tax collectors and to the prostitutes? Why is Jesus giving grace to those people over there? I mean, I deserve my grace. But Jesus is full of grace. But Jesus is also full of authority. Do not miss that. Jesus says that he created the world. Jesus says that the commandments come from him. Jesus says that he is God himself. And so when Jesus arrives, who is not just full of grace, but he is also full of authority, what that does is that crushes our concept of what I'm going to call moral autonomy or moral independence. This is I can do whatever it is that I want to do. I can believe whatever it is that I want to believe. I can behave in any way that I want to behave. And the problem is that when Jesus comes, he is a person who is the, the son of God who is full of grace, but he is also full of authority. And that draws a line and says, this concept of moral autonomy or moral independence is a lie. You do not have the right to do whatever it is that you want to do. There is a north and a south. There is an up and a down. There is a light and a dark. There is a right and a wrong. And so people don't particularly hate Jesus because of his grace and his love. But they find the fact that Jesus is a person full of authority really cramps their life. And our obedience to Jesus echoes that same challenge to moral autonomy. When you and I say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, and while I may not be perfect, I am going to seek to follow him with everything that I have, that puts that same vice on it. In fact, it, it seems a little bit like, I don't know whether you've ever been in one of those work environments where you got a, a new job, you showed up on your, your first day, you got there a few minutes early, and you came in ready to work, and I mean really do the job, and about halfway through the morning, somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, 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 Sparky. Um, I don't know whether they called you Sparky or not, but... But hey, 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 take it easy. You, that, we, we, that you're, you're making the rest of us look bad. 
That, that, that's not the way that we do it. We, we, we've learned how to give this level of effort. And if you show up at this level of effort, hey, it's going to make everybody else feel bad. And what begins to come is there's a little bit of animosity in that because your effort is making their uneffort look bad. In the same way, sometimes our obedience to Jesus puts some pressure on what is a conflict that is happening inside of other people's souls. A decision that they are making on a daily basis, whether they are going to live under the authority of Jesus or whether they're going to pursue a moral autonomy that says, I can do whatever it is that I want. And just in the same way as someone may say, hey, Sparky, easy up. Ease up there. Sometimes there is animosity from our obedience to Jesus. And sometimes that comes in a pushback with some words. Sometimes they may be words directly to your face, and sometimes, to the worse, it may be words behind your back. And sometimes it is an opposition uh, that comes with, with words behind your back towards your face. Uh, sometimes it is an exclusion that all of a sudden, when folks gather up at lunch, there isn't a space for you at that table. When, when folks gather up and say, listen, this is what we're doing after work on Friday, you're not included in uh, that group. When there is a text mail chain, uh, the uh, text chain that's going around the office, you realize that everybody else in the room laughs at a joke and you're not on that chain because you're excluded because of your obedience to Christ. Sometimes that comes with some setups and some testing. Let's see how they react to this. Maybe they'll put something in front of you that's potentially gonna morally compromise you. Sometimes maybe they're just gonna poke at you and just see whether you're gonna snap. Maybe they're just looking for a place where they can catch some kind of hypocrisy inside of your life, but it is a regular pushback. And it's not fair. It's not fair that you should, because you're being a follower of Jesus and trying to live like him and to serve like him and to love like him and to extend grace like him and live under his authority, it is not fair that you get treated in that way. But you know what's missing from this passage? Is a remedy. Is a plan or a call to fix it. Jesus does not come to the disciples and say, guys, you got to know this, that when I leave, the world is going to hate you, and here's what you do about it. Here's how to fix it. Here's how to turn the tables. Here's how to set things up so that they are even again the way that they should be and how to bring back fairness into the world. What he tells us is that the world is going to hate us, and he gives no remedy, no plan to fix it, no call to do something about it. Not on this page and not on any other of the pages of the Word of God. It would be like trying to fix gravity. It's part of the order now. Those folks that have not embraced Jesus in the same way that we have embraced Jesus are at times going to push back against us because of that obedience. 
It is the natural default line that lies in the spiritual world. You see, you have been called out of this world. You have been committed your life to Christ. They have not. Those are two different worlds. And those worlds are going to be in conflict. And there's nothing we can do about it. And so sometimes we can become very distracted when we go through life saying, I need to even the score. I need to remedy this unfairness that I face as a follower of Christ. That's not on the table. It is part of the order that if we live in a world where there is a percentage of the people who do not follow Christ, there is going to be that built in. Jesus says, this world is going to hate you. They hated me. Are we going to figure out how to do life better than Jesus did? No, the world hated him. The world is going to hate us. My encouragement to you in this is to know that it's not about you. I know it still hurts. I know it still stings. I know it's still unfair. I know that sometimes someone else may get promoted over you because of some junk like that. I know that it's not fair. But understand that that conflict isn't really about you. It's about a spiritual warfare that's going on deeper than, than you. I would encourage you to let you know that when you experience that, man, it's not fun. But it is evidence that your faith is sticking out. It is evidence that the people can recognize that you have been called out of this world and that you are a person whose life is marked by Jesus. That's, that's pretty cool. And not only that, but the Word of God tells us that when we experience those difficulties and those hardships and we experience those tribulations, that we now stand in solidarity and sharing the same journey of tribulation and opposition and hardship as we do with these disciples and we do with other believers who are around the world. And we even have a piece of the hardship and the difficulty that Jesus faced. Again, not enjoyable, but it is an honor to carry some of that same opposition that these disciples and brothers and sisters around the world today face. And to even have just a tiny slice of some of the opposition that Jesus faced. Jesus also tells us that a disciple a follower of Jesus, but we'll have to make some tough choices along the way. You see, here's the, the thing. We, we have been called out of the world, but we're still in the world. Your address is such and such, Louisiana, zip code, the world. That, that, that's where you still live. I mean, you may live in a great neighborhood, but it is still part of this world. And so in one sense, Jesus has called you out of this world. But everywhere you put your foot last week is in this world. And so what that does is maybe one of the most difficult parts of this is that you and I live with this tug of war between am I going to behave, live, in a way that mirrors this world or am I going to live in a way that mirrors 
the Jesus who has called me out of this world? Am I going to live more by the light or am I going to live more by the darkness? Am I going to live more by the flesh or am I going to live more by the spirit? Because both of those things we can reach out and touch. Living for Jesus or living according to this world are both within reach for every single person in this world, every single moment of our life. We can reach this way or this way. And there are points in your life this past week that you reached for the things of light and obedience to Jesus. But there was probably a moment or two that you reached back into the world that you've been called out of. There's probably been a moment or two where you've reached back out of reflex or of long-term struggle and reached back into the darkness where the light doesn't shine. Now, the good news here is the same good news that it was last week. As you struggle in that tug of war, you have help. Not lowercase help, but capital help. The helper, the spirit of God that comes to live inside of you as a believer in Christ is there to help you live out your faith in this kind of world. That helper is here to help you speak up in this kind of world. In fact, that helper that lives inside of you, that is the Spirit of God himself, is here to help you reach out in this kind of world. See, the thing is, we do live in a broken world. We live in a world where the default and the normal is not right. It's in rebellion against God. In fact, Jesus even refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. That's a mess. And that's the world we have to swim in. And it can be discouraging. It can be frustrating. It can be exhausting. And that's the reason why in this gospel it talks about the world so much. But do you know the most famous time that this gospel, that Jesus talks about the world in the gospel of John? It's chapter 3. And it's verse 16. It tells us that God so loved this world. This rebellion, broken, messed up, oppositional, hating world. This world that was going to hate him. This world that was hating him. This world that was going to execute him. This world that was going to reject him. This world that was going to stand opposed to every one of his followers. He says, that world, I love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus would perish, so we would not have to perish. You see, this is a broken, messed up world. But the choice that we are called to respond to that is to live for Jesus and to find a way to love this world. 
because we can't be obedient to him if we don't love this world. Even when this world hates us. Even when there's pushback. Even when we're excluded. Even when folks speak evil against us to our face or behind our back. Even when people try to set us up to watch us fail. For God so loved that world, this world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We are in this world so that we can speak truth to that world. And so maybe we can even have a part of when Jesus calls another person from that world out of darkness and into light. So what do we do with this this morning? What is the what now? Uh, let me just mention a handful of things this morning. One, I want you to think back over some of those tug-of-war moment, tug moments in the last week. I want you to think back of some of those places where light was in hand and darkness was in hand. And I want you to think about some of those places where you maybe you, you grabbed the wrong direction. And you reached back into the world instead of into the kingdom of Jesus. And I'm not here to, to, to pound guilt over those things. But what I want you to do is I want you to recognize those moments. And maybe just try to think through, man, how could I see that coming a little bit better so that in this coming week, I can be more prepared and knowing that there's going to be these kind of moments that are coming to me where I'm going to be either choose to reach back into the world or to reach forward into my life with Jesus. How can I make sure that the next time one of those moments come, I choose Jesus and not of this world? The second question that I would ask you is, man, how are you doing loving this world? I know that we can recognize, man, this world stinks, this world is broken, what is this world is coming to? You know, you, know, you, you can either tell to people about, how, how about the weather? Or you can open with, man, is this world messed up? I mean, those are the two openers that you're guaranteed to get a conversation about. But church, we are called to love this broken, messed up world. Even the parts where the brokenness is sticking out. Even the parts that we're like, man, that is so wrong. I know. I know. Love them. Find a way to express love and grace, kindness, forgiveness, just plain love. And so the next time you get a reflex that says, oh, that makes me mad about the world. Oh, but I gotta love them. I have to find a way to love even the people who are part of this world that are messed up. That's the calling of Jesus. And there's one more thing. We gotta have each other's back. That's the reason why gathering like this matters so much. This is a gathering of the people who have committed their lives to Christ. That this is a gathering of people who are trying to live in the kingdom pursuing Jesus. 
And so if out there the world hates us, oh man, we got to have each other's back. There's no room for gossip. There's no room for snideness. There's no room for meanness. There's no room for cliques. There's no room for any of that junk in the kingdom of God. The world is an opposition so that when the believers gather together, man, whether, whether you like their haircut or not, man, we've got to have each other's back. And even if we disagree with somebody in the faith, man, we've got to find a way that we can express that disagreement and still have each other's back. Because we live in a hard place. And if the family can't have each other's back, man, that makes it a whole lot harder. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case in this church. I'm saying universally, on the internet, on Twitter, all, across town, wherever it is. But we do need to have a place that because we know that we have to live out our faith in a hard place, that we make sure that we love and that we care for each other and that we receive each other and we pour grace into each other and that there's a seat at the table for every believer because we're having to live out this faith in a hard place. And it's hard to love this world and it's exhausting. And so that's the reason we come is so that we can be refreshed and encouraged. And so church, man, if, if we ever see somebody that doesn't look like they have a seat, now there may be a chair, but do they have a seat at the table? Man, we gotta make sure they got a seat at the table. We gotta look after each other. Does that make sense? All right, well, let's pray together.